Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. We'll meet tonight in the book of 1 Peter. In the book of 1 Peter, we started our series on the book of 1 Peter last week. Amen. We're going to continue in that vein for this week here. Amen. We're going to begin reading with verse number 3, and I will read down through verse number uh, 12, and uh, then you'll be able to be seated here. The Bible states these words, starting in verse 3, 1 Peter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, Though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith be much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, ye love, in whom though now Ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it was testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Amen. And if that seemed like a long sentence, that's because it is in the Greek one sentence from 3 to 12, one long, just kind of uh, and over. That's what makes sometimes the epistles a little difficult to follow as a result of that. But we're going to try to uh, dissect it, if you will, here this evening. I want to, tonight, this is our part two. I entitled this simply, uh, Praise God for Being Born Again. Praise God for Being Born Again. Amen. Lord Jesus, I come to you tonight, Lord, and we need, Lord, your help in this service. God, in this place, I pray, oh, Lord, God, that you're able to lift up our hearts, our minds, and our souls, Lord, tonight. God, as we focus upon you, I pray, oh, God, today, Lord God, let the word become alive, Lord God, to those that sat, Lord Jesus, in this sanctuary tonight. I pray, Lord, grant us understanding. I pray, Lord, in the next few moments, God, to let your spirit, God, meet us here, Lord, in a special way, God, as we study your word. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. Everybody say amen. You may be seated. Praise God for being born again. 
Hallelujah. So the Apostle Peter is very similar to the Apostle Paul in the fact that they know how to write a sentence that lasts forever. And so they stretch, really, though, a concept and an idea out through several, several verses. And again, this is one reason why, if you ever read the epistles, uh, we found this when we did our study in the book of Ephesians, that sometimes they can be a little difficult to follow. But at the same time, since you have all these ideas that are piled toward one direction, they can also enrich, really, the main idea or the main concept that is being thought about or conveyed in the Scripture. Because in reality, the main clause of verses 30 through 12, the whole main clause and idea is really those first few words that are spoken in verse 3 that say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that is what everything else is centered around from 3 to 12. It's all leading back to those first few words that are spoken there. But along the way, there are all these other separate ideas that are help support or undergird that main idea that, that God should be blessed or that he should be praised. More importantly, that what we're talking about is God and primarily the work that God did in or through Christ Jesus. Amen. Uh, we understand the salvation of humanity was, of course, through uh, the blood and the sacrifice of Christ Jesus. Amen. So what God did in or through him is the whole subject matter for those verses of 3 through 12. And it's important because you cannot, you cannot talk about what God did through the life of Christ Jesus without talking about being born again. In reality, you just really can. You can't talk about what the Lord did in his life without talking about the new birth experience. Because among all the things that the Bible states that God is, we know that God is love and God is long-suffering and God is compassionate. Uh, another thing that God is, according to the scriptures here, is that God is merciful. Amen. According to his abundant mercy, the Bible says, hath he begotten us again. So among all the things that are attributed that God is, his love, his compassion, God is also merciful. We read from the book of Lamentations that it was due to the Lord's mercies that we were not consumed. Because of his mercies, we were not consumed. And those mercies, the scripture says, are new what? Every morning. And so it is God's mercy that provides an opportunity to you and I of being begotten again. We've already been begotten once by our natural birth. But being begotten again is our spiritual birth. And so when we talk about the new birth experience, we understand then that it is a gift. Yes, we talked about this somewhere over the past few weeks in one of our services, how it's been talked about as the gift of the Holy Ghost or the gift of God or simply the gift. But this gift that we have experienced is a privilege that comes to us, not because we deserved it, but because of God's mercy made it available to us. And so he hath begotten us Again, first time natural birth, second time spiritual birth. So we are born again, even as the Lord Jesus Christ related to Nicodemus when Nicodemus came to him by night. Let's read the setting of scripture of John 3. John 3 in verse number 3, whenever Nicodemus comes to the Lord, saying, surely thou art he, you did many miracles, you're the rabbi. Jesus answered in verse 3 and said unto him, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? So here's Nicodemus thinking about natural birth. Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? He's questioning. And Jesus says in verse 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and the spirit. He is describing, explaining what born again was meaning, born of water and of spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And so he's speaking about being born again. Peter in the epistle was speaking about he begot us again. Or again, he's talking about being born again. And he starts right out of the shoot in verse number 3 saying, Blessed be God, which the word blessed can also be interpreted praise. He's saying, Praise God for being born again. Praise God for our new birth experience that has been afforded to us. And Peter can lean on the idea Living in that culture in that time, he had witnessed Jesus' resurrection from the dead. He had witnessed that he was dead, put on a cross, buried in a grave, and rose again. And he understood this. Since Jesus resurrected from the dead, since he got up, we can be born again into a new life. Since he got up, we can have a new, as the Bible declares it in verse 3, a lively hope. Everybody say a lively hope. He's begot us again unto a lively hope. A lively hope is this. It is a living hope. And it's a living hope because it's tied to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is also living. Its origin is living. So we, are, we have a lively hope in Christ Jesus today because, amen, he didn't stay in the tomb, Right? Didn't stay in the ground. Amen. He's alive. Let's read a course of scripture. I love this course in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But let's read it. I want to read it in your hearing today. And I got several verses that I want to read to you. This is a tremendous, tremendous, uh, persuasive, argumentative, defending the resurrection chapter of 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 12. Listen, listen now uh, to the apostle Paul in his argument about whether there was a resurrection or not whether or not Christ was risen. He says in verse 12, Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? He says, But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain. Your faith also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he raised not up. If so be that the dead rise not. He's saying we've been preaching that Christ raised from the dead. And so if that's the case, then our witness has been false. If we've been saying he raised from the dead and he didn't rise from the dead. He said so we, we would be in a, in a bad situation here. He says in verse 16, for if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. If you're saying there's no possibility for a resurrection, then Christ couldn't have raised either. He says in verse 17, if, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. Ye are yet in your sins. He says we put the whole, if you will, salvation of humanity on the purpose of a, a risen Savior. He says, and if sins were going to be, amen, totally eradicated, not just in death, but you have a new creature ability of walking in life, that would only happen if he got up out of the ground. And he says, so everything we preach in don't even have a foundation if Christ didn't give up. He says in verse 18, then they also which are fallen asleep in, to sleep in Christ are perished. He says, that means there's no hope for those that already died. There's no glad someday getting up morning. There is no catching away. 
There is no coming up out of the ground. He says in verse 19, if in this life only we have hope, he said, in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Amen. You know what he was relaying to us? He was relaying the next life. We don't just have a hope of being born again, but we have a hope that goes beyond the grave. Amen. We don't just have hope of a, a death and a burial. We have the hope of a resurrection. And so Paul and Peter both are, are reiterating this. We have life that is to come that we can still yet be hopeful for. We have a lively hope because it's tied to Jesus Christ who is still Alive and well. I know you've seen the nail prints and I know you've seen the crown of thorns upon his head and I know you've seen the darkness cover the earth and I know you see Joseph of Arimathea and another come and put his body in the grave. I know you've seen the ladies preparing all the, the substance for preparing his body for burial the next day. But And I know when everybody got to the grave, the grave was already empty. But 40 days after his passion, he has made himself known to his disciples in the world that he is alive. You have a lively hope. Amen. So we've been born again, and I'm just kind of traipsing here through the verses of Scripture, and you can follow along with me in 1 Peter. So, so we've been born again. We have a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Look now, verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible. So again, this lively hope just isn't what we experience here on earth. It's transporting us into the inheritance that is still yet to come we've been born again not just for what we experience upon earth that's part of it but we're born again to an inheritance that's literally out of this world that's to be fully recognized and enjoyed someday if you've been begotten again in heaven the bible says in ephesians 1 14 we've looked at these verses before but look at it again so, so we're, we've been begotten again. Thank God. Bless God. Praise God for being born again, begotten again to an inheritance. The Bible says in Ephesians 1.14, which, and when it says which is the earnest, it's speaking back. You can look at verse 13. It's talking about the Holy Spirit of promise. Which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. We've spoke along these terms many times. I'm going to hit the nail one more time. The earnest of Paul's day in Ephesians is not much different from the earnest of ours today. It is a down payment to guarantee the... Amen. So when you've been begotten to an inheritance, what you received when you were born again was just an earnest of what is still yet to come from heaven someday. Amen. Heaven, if you will, is the culmination of our redemption. Heaven, if you will, is the culmination of the totality of our inheritance. The Holy Ghost is the earnest. The Holy Ghost is that part and parcel, amen, that guarantees something that is to come. I like to say it like this. The Holy Ghost is just a little piece of heaven. Amen. It's just a little piece of heaven. And look at all these words there, if you will, in verse number four that refer to this inheritance. This is for those that have been begotten again. It is an incorruptible inheritance. It is an undefiled inheritance. It is an inheritance that fadeth or not away. It is an inheritance that is reserved in heaven for you. You who? Those that have been begotten again. All right? 
This is not some big blanket. This is an inheritance that's reserved for anybody in heaven. But this is referring back to that elect. This is referring back to that church. It's referring back to those that have been begotten again. It is reserved for them. Now, this is, this is in heaven someday. Thank God that I've been begotten again. Not just that I've been begotten again, but I have this inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, fadeth not away, that's reserved for me, for you. You see it in verse 4, for you, but look at verse 5. Who? See, this, the, 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 the writer, he all the time does this. He like leaves the last word and then he has some other modifier that's modifying that. Who? Who's it referring to? The you. Who are kept by the power of God through faith and the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Those who have been begotten again are kept. That means continuously encircled or guarded by the power of God. Someone thinks, whew, there we go. Hallelujah, I get begotten again. And then I am eternally just kept continuously encircled by the power of God of God our inheritance the Bible says our inheritance is reserved in heaven amen and we are being reserved or kept if you will by the power of God for our full inheritance everybody all right but look now in verse number five there who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation we'll be kept by the power of God let me say it like this, as we maintain our faith unto salvation. Amen. Our, and what did we learn last week? We know our, our faith is a working faith, right? Faith without works is dead. It's a working faith. Amen. It's an active faith. It's an obedient faith, right? Amen. And so heaven, heaven is reserved for those that are begotten again that keep reserving themselves for heaven. Does that make sense? What I'm, what I'm trying to get at, the theory of necessarily once saved, always saved, is not what's being illustrated here in Scripture. It's not that you, 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 you become begotten again and you are reserved in eternally for heaven. It don't matter what you do, how you live your life, smoke, cuss, fornicate, do everything you want. Heaven's reserved for you, no problems. Woo! No. We, it, it, it's kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation and our faith is active our faith is working our faith is an obedient faith it's not i come to him in a moment of receiving his spirit and i have obedience that moment i don't have to obey another day of my life no it's an obedient faith in the life that i live the bible says in ephesians 2 10 the apostle paul comes alongside here after he talks about it, it's not works but it's the gift of god look at verse 10 ephesians 2 10 for we are his workmanship we are his work of art. We are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus unto what? Unto good works, which God hath what? Before ordained that we should walk in them. We are saved, no doubt, but for a purpose unto good works. Amen. That God before even ordained that he would want us to walk therein. Amen. He wanted us to do, do them. He wanted us to accomplish them. All right. Good works. Look now, I'm just tying Scripture with Scripture here. Just follow me. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16. Many of you could quote it. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly. Everybody say thoroughly. Thoroughly furnished unto all. 
Now, don't tell me teaching time, preaching time, Word of God time is not important because it will fully furnish you unto all good works. God's Word has such an importance in our life because it furnishes us unto all good works, even the works that God before ordained that we would do after we come to know Him. If I say it like this, without the Bible, without the Word's involvement, we lack having everything we need in order to accomplish the good works that God has foreordained for our life. Amen? Amen. So yes, it's vital, important. Another scripture that shows the importance of it is Titus 3 and 8. He says, this is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm. The word affirm there means, I, basically, I want you to confirm something for me. I want you to confirm something for me. That thou will affirm constantly that they which have believed, had faith in God, might be careful. They're going to give some consideration. They're going to exercise some thought to maintain Everybody hear me? Maintain good works. Things that are good and profitable to men. Let me tell you something. If you maintain a car, does that mean you change the oil once and then never have to worry about it again? Does that mean you rotate the tires once and it's said and done? Huh? No. Maintaining is what? You have to go back and you got to check on it a little bit, don't you? Make sure the oil level's right, right? And the freeze is right. What? Maintaining. What does that mean? That means that there is periodical maintenance. Huh? So when we talk about that the begotten has going to be kept encircled and guarded by the power of God for the reserved heaven that's for them, but through, if you will, through their faith unto salvation, and faith means that there's, if there's going to be a living faith, it's going to be a working faith, and we talk about all this. What we're talking about is a maintaining program in our daily walk and relationship with God that through our daily maintenance brings the guarantee of God keeping us in the circle of his power and reservedness for heaven, the heaven that's reserved for us. I know that was like a long way around to say, what, but I'm just telling you, that is the concept, the idea being relayed. And so Peter says that heaven that is re revered and, and re reserved for us. And so this salvation, what? You're going to through faith, through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last Time. This is interesting. Peter oftentimes speaks of the last days. He speaks of the last time. He's speaking of the time of the coming of the Lord and all these things through his epistles. And what he's trying to inspire us, that's not only good for his generation, good for our generation, we need to live every day with the end in view. We need to live every day with the end in view. Not this grand idea, you know, I have X number of years ahead of me. For that matter, your life might not be interrupted by death. It could be interrupted by rapture. When it speaks of the imminent return of Christ, or we talk about the imminent return of Christ, what that means is this. It could happen any moment. It could happen any moment when you talk about the imminent return of Christ. So when you look at verse number 5, and you look at verse number 4, and he's talking about, you know, uh, 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 verse number 4. Five, rather, when he's talking about faith and the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, what he is telling us is this, that whenever we are kept by the power of God through faith and the salvation, that will be revealed about our readiness whenever judgment day comes. 
All things are revealed then. Anything that's been tucked in darkness or put somewhere, all things are coming to the light, the Bible says. It speaks to us to judge nothing before it's time. But whenever it's time for things to be judged, everything's coming out. Yeah. Everything's coming out of the closet. Everything's going to be put up on the table. In other words, everything will be made known when the Lord comes back, whether we've been faithful to God or unfaithful to God. Amen. But we got to maintain all that as we live right now, today. Amen. And so he goes on and talks to us about this then. Us who are kept by the power of God, look at verse number six. Wherein ye greatly rejoice. Though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Before I go on there, let me just say something about the faith that we're talking about here in Scripture. Faith in the salvation. Faith. We're not just talking about a belief. It has that connotation that it is a belief. But it is also about the actual, like people say, well, what's your faith? Like the actual doctrine. The actual, you know, baptism in Jesus' name. Because whenever, what happens is this then, that means that our faith, our belief, and our doctrine, what we actually believe, and our being begotten again, sets us for a trajectory for heaven. It sets us in that direction. Qualifies, if you will, us for heaven. But the same thing that qualifies us for heaven makes us at odds with the earth that we live down here below. And so what happens then, we have an eternal reward that's waiting for us in heaven someday. And heaven is going to be a eternal, everybody say eternal, eternal reality for us someday. But as verse number six begins to tell us here, we're going to have the seasons of suffering, seasons of test. I'd like to emphasize these are temporal seasons. You have an eternal inheritance. You just have a temporal season of suffering right now. Amen? I would rather have an eternal inheritance of a good reality, lively hope with the Lord, than to have a temporal season of suffering now and an eternal season of suffering later. The Bible speaks in Hebrews 11 that what? The pleasures of sin are for what? Season. Even the temptations that even Peter is writing about here, the testing seemed to be for believers just nothing more than a season. Even Jesus' temptation in the wilderness of his testing was for 40 days, the Bible says, and afterward the devil departed, amen, and left him for a season. Something that should bolster our hearts just a little bit is this, is that our sufferings are always short-lived. That's something we've got to keep in mind whenever they come. However long they may be there, we got to understand they are always short-lived. That should make them just a teeny bit more bearable. You know, to be able to look at your husband's life, and my wife used to do it, and different things, she said, just, this is just going to be a blip on the radar. What that meant was this, it's just short-lived. It won't be here forever. It's not, it's not setting up its mailbox to stay. It may feel like that, but it will not be here forever. Amen. And yet he says in verse 6, look, he says, wherein ye greatly rejoice. What is he rejoicing in? Well, he's rejoicing in the fact he's been begotten again. He's rejoicing in the fact that there's an inheritance still to come that's eternal. He's rejoicing in the fact that that thing is incorruptible, undefiled, fate if not away, it's reserved in heaven for him. He's rejoicing in the fact that he can enter into this maintenance program that not only is it reserved for him, but he can be reserved for it. 
He's rejoicing in the fact of all of these matters. Yet the Bible says he's in heaviness over his present suffering. He's in heaviness, you look at it in verse 4, over his season of suffering. Here's the thing that we find oftentimes in our Christian lives, that the rejoicing and the heaviness oftentimes coexist. The rejoicing and the heaviness oftentimes coexist. There's just kind of split thing in this new birth experience that we find with the Lord. And that is our new birth experience can cause us to rejoice and yet all the while be burdened with heaviness. Amen. Look at the Bible there in verse 6. We're met with manifold temptations. The word manifold is basically a variety of temptations, a variety of tests. But we'll read later as we get into the book of 1 Peter 4 and 10 that we read of another manifold there. And the Bible talks about the manifold grace of God. So on one hand, you have a variety of tests, trials, troubles, and tribulations. But on the other hand, you have a multifaceted grace of God. You know what that means to me? That every variety of tests that we may have, God has a grace for. Every variety of tests that we may have, God has a grace for. And His grace is sufficient for every trial, every trouble, every test, every temptation. He has a manifold grace. And so Peter says, I can still yet rejoice. Though I'm in the heaviness of my season, that's all right. It may change tomorrow. It may come as a temptation or a test in a different form tomorrow. That's all right. I got manifold temptation. I got manifold grace. Everything's all right. I can still rejoice in the Lord. It's bad. That's all right. I got a multifaceted good I can apply over here because of being born again. The verb rejoice. This is interesting. The verb rejoice, and I deep in this, I'm just going to say it, Greek language has moods. So it has a mood in which it makes the word rejoice a little ambiguous, meaning that it could mean you rejoice, wherein you rejoice, or it could mean wherein you keep on rejoicing, or it could mean wherein you will rejoice. So what it tells me is this, is rejoicing or joy can be a part of every spectrum of my life, my past, my present, or my future. To those that are not rejoicing, he says, you will rejoice. To those that are rejoicing, he's saying, keep on rejoicing. To those that are not rejoicing yet, he's telling them, he said, go on and rejoice. How in the world is this possible? I'm in a season of difficulty and woe. I'm overwhelmed. That's all right. You have a multifaceted grace over here. You've been born again. You have reason to rejoice. You can bless God. You can praise God. Amen. Regardless of what's going on. Because trials take on all kinds of faces, don't they? My trial is not your trial, and they might look a little differently, but they take on all kinds of faces. We already spoke about, and I have, it seems like, over the past several weeks. I don't know why I'm going back to this, but there's some trials that are self-induced, and there are some that are just par for the course of life. And there are some that happen, as Peter speaks of, that are trials of our faith. That's what he focused on, those that try our faith. Number one, our belief. Number two, our beliefs, our doctrine. He says, if you look at it in verse 6, that these trials that come, they're, they're manifold. Sometimes they're even needful or necessary. Do you see that? For wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations that the trial of your faith. I mean, it's almost as though he's even stating 
that there's sometimes that you need a trial. Sometimes you need a trial. Even more particularly in verse 7, the trial of your faith. Sometimes you need a trial of your faith. Your faith needs tried. Your belief needs tried. Your confidence and surety in what you believe needs tried. Someone say amen. Oh yeah, we need a trial of our faith. It's good sometimes to be on the defense, if you will. Amen, defending the faith. There's sometimes it's necessary. But he takes this mode in verse number 7. He begins to talk about the trial of our faith and he compares it to gold. Gold that's being tried in a fire. A lot of similarities that can be between the two, and there's differences as well. But our faith is compared to go. There are mainly two reasons. There's a whole lot more, probably subcategories, okay? But there are mainly two reasons for applying fire to metals. Number one is to test the metal. Number two is to cleanse the metal. But he says the trial of our faith is more precious than of gold that perisheth because the fact of the matter is it put go through the fire cleanse it get all the impurities out of it but you know what in the end goat has the ability to perish with anything else said so, but the trial that you're going through it may cleanse you it may purify you but the fact of the matter is this you're precious because you will not perish you will live forever somewhere you will live forever somewhere Amen. So the trial of our faith is more precious because the outcome is profitable. Amen. We will live forever somewhere. Our faith does not perish. Amen. When it's put in the fire of the trial, our faith does not perish or at least should not. Amen. But our faith should be made stronger. Our faith should be tempered, if you will, by the fire. I like what Paul said in Romans 8 and 18. He said, for I reckon, amen, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. He says there's some present suffering going on, but there's some glory that's going to be revealed someday. It's almost like he's alluding back to this whole, you know, almost like go through a fire type thing. It goes through the fire, but the outcome is that it's more pure than what it once was, that it's been tested, that it's been tempered, but that only took place because it went through some suffering, if you will, of the fire. Every trial that you face in your Christian walk, if you come through true and blue, it's going to, I know, we don't accept this but it's going to be make you better than what you were before you went through it now we don't want to accept that we don't want to accept that but that's the truth we'll allow it to have its perfect work he goes on verse number eight so we've been tried by the fire hoping that as verse 7 says, there might be found praise and honor and glory at the period of Jesus Christ. Here it is, talking about the last days again. Here it is, talking about when the Lord comes back. In verse 8, whom, it's talking about Christ now, whom our faith or the faith of the church is tried in one sense here in verse number 8, that we believe in someone we've never seen. Mm-hmm. We love someone. Look at verse 8, that you've never seen. And so the faith of the church in a certain degree, based upon some of those things, they loved and they believed in something this generation 
had never seen. Yet they rejoice. Having not seen it, yet they rejoice. They love it, they rejoice. In spite of even the many temptations and testings that they had concerning their belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, they rejoice nonetheless. The Bible states that the culmination of this, in verse number 9, the end of their faith is their salvation. Not just their new birth experience, that's great and tremendous, but their salvation ultimately meaning their rapture from this world into the heaven that is reserved for them. Their ultimate ultimate faith is their salvation, that change from corruptible to incorruptible, from mortal to immortal. And Paul, Peter rather, speaks a lot about these things. He speaks about a lot of the temporal, the perisheth, the incorruptible. He speaks a lot about these things. But the end of salvation for the church would be that they would have a joy someday without any dark hues of suffering in it anymore. Right now, they live a life filled with the Spirit, but they got some suffering. But there's a day coming. They'll have a joy that has no suffering. It'll be the quote that we hear at funerals and gravesides, Sister Jessup, whenever they start to say, no more tears, no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. What's saying? Saying their faith, the culmination, the end, the totality of their faith is going to be their salvation, not just their being born again in their life, but the salvation of being removed to this world where there is no more of what they suffered through in the world. Amen. Bible states this in Luke 16 and verse 25. This is the story, the parable, if you will, of the rich ruler in Lazarus. Lazarus sat outside of the gate of the rich ruler. He begged, amen, for crumbs, if you will, or scraps that would come from him. Uh, The young ruler did not even pay him the time of day. Both of these men, the Bible described as died. Uh, Lazarus was taken away into what was called Abraham's bosom, And then the Bible says that the ruler lifted up his eyes in hell. Amen. And Abraham says in verse 25, said, Son, he's speaking, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things. He's talking to the young ruler. And likewise, Lazarus, evil things. He says, but now, but now, he said, he, Lazarus, who had suffered evil things, he said, is comforted. And thou who had your quote-unquote good things, he says, now are tormented. See, the scale evens out at the last day. I know we read all the scriptures and Psalms and even David succumbed to the, some of those things. Why is it that the wicked are, or the wicked are, seem to be flourishing? Why, why do they have it so good? Why does it seem everything goes their way? Why, why, why? Amen. And he said, but whenever I got to the house of God, he said, my whole perspective changed. It's then that I understood that the Lord may be holding back his hand right now, but there's coming a day, it's going to slap down judgment. And everything that I've been walking in accordance with God, honey, death is going to be swallowed up in victory so to speak in that day and hour amen he's saying there's he's, if I stay like this you can rejoice now because you know what the end of the story is if you keep maintaining do you hear what I'm saying you can rejoice now 
It's almost, you know, like sometimes you, you pull tricks and stuff on people and, and you have, you're privy to information that they're not privy to and you do a little bit of giggling and all this stuff and they're like, what's wrong with you? And it's like, well, I know something you don't. I can rejoice now and say, well, what's your deal? Well, I know something you don't. <laughs> that if we keep on this trajectory, if we keep on this path, I know what the outcome is going to be. I know that the suffering that I have right now will not be there. It can change in a moment. Amen. As the old, the old uh, black gospel people used to say when someone would, would, would just escape from this life, said it may be a hallelujah here and a hallelujah over there. Amen. It can be suffering now and suffering no more in just a moment. Amen. Because I've been begotten again and I'm trying to maintain a begotten life. With the Lord. The closing verses here. That is our text here tonight. Peter wants to emphasize. That salvation. Even the born again experience. Was some not new topic he was just introducing. It wasn't just a New Testament idea. But this is something that the people. The prophets. They have been speaking about even from the Old Testament. Forward. They were speaking of salvation, even a savior in the Old Testament scripture. Peter wanted the people to know that the prophets of old, they prophesied about salvation. They prophesied about a savior. They prophesied about a grace that would come. They even prophesied about a suffering Messiah. Daniel prophesied about somebody that was going to be cut off from the earth. They all prophesied about this and that Christ, there was going to be some glory that would follow him. The Bible even states that when Jesus was walking on the earth in Luke 24 and verse 25, Jesus is on the road to Emmaus. Uh, there's many that don't even believe that he has risen yet, but he's walking on the road to Emmaus with a couple of his disciples that are somewhat distraught over the events of the crucifix and him being put in a tomb and the body not being found. And so Jesus is walking alongside them in verse 25. And the Bible says, then he said unto them, he's speaking to these two men of walking to Emmaus. He said, oh fools, and slow to heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. What are you saying? He's saying they talked about the death. They talked about the suffering. They talked about the resurrection. He said, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And the Bible says, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Whenever we talk about a Savior, when we talk about salvation, this isn't a new idea. This isn't a, a, a 2019 idea. This has been an idea from the beginning of time. Salvation, a Savior, has always been an idea. And here's what Peter is telling the people, and this just, just grips my heart. He tells them, the same Spirit, the same Spirit that inspired the prophets of old to tell of a death, burial, and resurrection and a suffering Messiah, new life, the same Spirit, that caused them to say that is the same spirit that's upon me and the other disciples preaching to you repentance, baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. It's the same spirit that's speaking to this generation. Can I tell you, it's the same spirit that I feel in this place right now that's relaying the same Savior salvation message today. It's the same. Mm. This is not a new idea. Bible says in 2 Peter 1 and 21, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. 
The same spirit that they received on the day of Pentecost is the same spirit that inspired the old prophets to speak of something that was to come that had not came yet. Not only that, the prophets spoke about things they didn't even understand. Yes, we see it in Daniel. Things that he wrote of, he didn't even understand. There were things that they wrote about and were inspired to talk about and prophesy and utter that they didn't even understand the totality of. And that was not even revealed in their lifetime or in their day. But the Bible says, Peter says it in those closing verses of our text, that they were though now revealed for his generation. That what the old prophets didn't understand the totality of, they're speaking things they didn't even know about. They are revealed right now. Why? He says, because it's for our generation. Our generation is the one that gets the full benefit of the Savior. They were moved upon. You're moved within. You go, takarobo koshi in the name of Jesus Mm. he says they spoke it they didn't quite understand it it wasn't revealed to them he says but to us and to whom it was revealed verse 12 that unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven Peter lets them know that he and his generation have really just done one thing. They've built up on the prophecies of the old time prophets what they spoke in their generation. They spoke of a Messiah that would die, that would be buried, and that would resurrect. They spoke of that. That came to pass in Christ Jesus in the Gospels. But Peter says, we just basically build upon what they have spoken. He said, they spoke to you about a death of Messiah. We talked to you about repentance, personal repentance. They talked to you about the the burial of the Messiah. Amen. We talked to you about a baptism in Jesus' name. They talked to you about the resurrection of a Messiah. Amen. We talked to you about the infilling of the Holy Ghost, a new creature, a new life. Amen. In other words, we're talking about the salvation story. It's just being mirrored in our life. Praise God for being born again. Romans 6 and verse number 6. Look at it. Romans 6, 6, and then we'll go backwards to 4. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Our old man is crucified with him. Look at verse 4. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up, Speaking of the resurrection from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Peter says this is not a new concept. This is not a new idea. The prophet spoke of all these things that the Messiah would go through. He did go through them, but I'm standing here today and telling you, amen, we are crucified with him. We are buried with him. We are raised up with him. What he said, he said, I don't have a new message. I got the same old message. I'm just delivering it to this generation. When we talk about salvation, yeah, salvation entails grace. Grace is important. We must have grace. We wouldn't be able to come to God if he had not extended grace to us. But it's grace plus suffering followed by glory. Grace plus suffering followed by glory. See, salvation comes to bear upon suffering whenever we talk about the suffering of the cross, whenever we talk about 
sin being dealt with on the cross. He took the handwritings, Galatians, I believe it says, of that ordinances that were written against us and nailed them to the tree. So, salvation in the way of suffering has to do with the suffering of the cross, sin being dealt with. But it also needs to have to do with that, that new glory or that new life, the glory of his resurrection. For you and I, it's being begotten again. So Peter is closing in, the, in our text here tonight, verses 10 through 12 of 1 Peter 1, that the message and the revelation of Christian suffering, look at this. That last phrase, he's been talking about the prophets that spoke about this, and then the last phrase of verse number 12 is this, which things the angels desire to look into. The message and the revelation of Christians, here's suffering. That's a, that's a big thing. That's a big concept here in First Peter. That the old prophets were interested in that. But not just that. Angels are interested in this. Whenever the Bible says which things the angels desire to look into, that just doesn't refer to that the angels desire to look into your Holy Ghost. They do. But they are interested in looking into the process of the death and the burial and the resurrection. The whole process is of interest to the prophets and to the angels. <laughs> what is this Holy Ghost thing? What is this, what is this suffering thing? Isn't it a little bit interesting? Because everybody in the oh, I'd love to see an angel. <laughs> I'd love to see an angel, you know, wings and some type of angelic. But let me tell you this. The very thing that you would desire to see is interested in the experience you have. Did you get that? The very thing you're like, oh, if I could just enter a trance and see the holy Gabriel angel. Do you understand that? You're like, oh. They are interested in, note, not just your Holy Ghost experience, but even your suffering. That's quite profound to me because I don't think much about my suffering until it's smack dab in front of my face. But to think that an angelic being would be interested even in the process of my suffering. Why? Because wherein, the Bible says, they rejoice that for a season, if need be, in heaviness with multitude temptations, what's the deal with these folks? What is this suffering? Oh, I see. Suffering is always followed by glory. And there's suffering and there's glory. And there, oh, I see. Because in the life of Christ, he had this 33 and a half years upon the earth and he was spat upon and people persecuted him, want to throw him off the brow of a hill. Suffering, 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 suffering. There's a cross, suffering, suffering. Oh, but wait, ascension, glory. Because <laughs> see, angels do not have the ability to be redeemed. Never will be. Whenever the Revelation says some days, whenever we get to heaven, we'll be able to sing a song that the angels cannot sing, and it's the song of the redeemed. Angels can't be redeemed. So they're interested in your redemption story because it's a story that can't be written in their life. Praise God for being born again. Stand with me tonight. 
Praise God for being born again. If we bow our heads here this evening, Father, I come to you, Jesus. God, I pray, oh, Lord Jesus, our lives, Lord, encircle. God, this, this experience and this idea. God, had you not came down, we would never be able to go up. God, if you did not condescend, Lord Jesus, in the likeness of men, we would not have the ability, Lord, to leave here someday with a lively hope on the other side of the grave. I pray, oh, Lord Jesus, with a resurrection that doesn't place me, Lord, in a place where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched, but, Lord, in a place where there's no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, everything that I have suffered with here below. God, I've been in heaviness with here below. I can rejoice even now because, the Lord, through maintenance program and close relationship with you, heaven can be reserved for me and the power of God can keep and encircle me for that coming hour and that day. I pray, oh, Lord Jesus, today, God, I'm thankful, Lord, for your gospel truth. God, it has been the, it has been the voice from the old-time prophets. It's been the voice, Lord, from the disciples. It's even been the voice of Jesus Christ, even and up to our hour. Lord, the salvation message, Lord Jesus, of crucifix, suffering, and glory. I pray, oh, Lord, today, let that be played out in our lives. God, help me to be as the Apostle Paul that says, I die daily. I pray, oh, Lord Jesus, that there will be some glory, Lord, that will follow. God, it's just a little season here below. It's just a moment of time. Life is but a vapor. It's here today, and it's gone tomorrow with all of its suffering. And then according how I've walked my journey will either reveal either more suffering for eternity or joy unspeakable, hiamakaya, and full of glory in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, I submit and surrender to you. God, let us as a people, Lord, as a church, God, as a church, God, Lord, that we would submit to you, Lord. The church, Lord, is destined. Their trajectory, Lord, is for heaven, God. But we got a responsibility as individuals, as people. We have a choice to be a part of this thing that's destined for heaven or not be a part of it. God, I want to make my calling and my election sure. Lord, but God, us again begotten us again oh I need the Holy Ghost today if you got the Holy Ghost you need to rejoice that you have the Holy Ghost even if you're facing suffering right now you need to rejoice if you don't have the Spirit of the Lord if you've not been begotten again you've only been born once of a natural means but you've never been born again of a spiritual means amen you need to be born again you need to be you need it is not it, it is a must he told Nicodemus, you must be born of the water and of the Spirit. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. The wind goes, you can't see it, you can see the effects of the wind, you can hear the wind. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. When you receive the Spirit of God, when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, you will speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives utterance, as Acts 2 says so. Just as the wind is heard, you will hear a sound that testifies, amen, to the fact that you have been begotten again, born again. Can we raise our hands to him? 
suffering right now doesn't even compare to where we're going. Suffering right now doesn't even compare with the streets that we're walking on. Suffering right now doesn't compare to every pearl that is a gate in that city. Twelve foundations. A city that is 1,500 miles cubed, the Bible speaks of. Of every precious stone. Of a tree that's by a river of life. Whose tree bears twelve different manners of fruit. And its leaves are for the healing of the nations. The suffering right now doesn't compare. Hallelujah, Jesus. I rejoice, Lord. Ha-ha. I rejoice, Lord. Brother Mason, if we could just sing a few bars as a song and, and we'll go home. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.